So today, we're in Ruth chapter 2. Thank you, Brandon, for reading that. And before we dive into our text today, I want to uh, just remind you, last week we started Ruth chapter 1, and in Ruth chapter 1, we saw a couple things. One, we saw the, the tragedy of Naomi, that Naomi uh, and her family, they, God had, um, they were in a, 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 a terrible famine, and in the famine, during the famine in Israel, we see that Scripture told us that God take, took away because Israel had gone their own way and was no longer depending on worshiping him. And so in grace, he removed something that their eyes might be turned back. And so in response to that, Naomi's family, instead of submitting and learning and repenting, they took off and they went to Moab. And Moab, as we learned last week, was a cursed land. It's a cursed people whom God had separated from himself um, due to their sin and the way they had treated the people of Israel. And then at, not only do they go into this cursed land, but Naomi's sons marry daughters of that land who worship the gods of that land. And then her sons and her husband die. And so what we saw at the end of last week was that Naomi is left alone with Ruth. One of her daughters left her, um, but Ruth clung to her, said, where you go, I will go. And more importantly, your God will be my God. And so last week we saw that the Lord had rescued Ruth, revealed himself, and that it's out of an, uh, the love that she had for the Lord that she loves Naomi. And so they go forward together to Bethlehem because they've got word that God has provided food, um, that he has taken care of his people, and they're on their way to Bethlehem. So that's where we're at today. And it says this, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Last week, in grief, Naomi shared with Ruth and, and her daughters. She said, don't come with me. I have no sons for you to marry. There's no one in Bethlehem for you. And we see today that perhaps she was somewhat mistaken. Ruth chapter 2 starts off with two key characters. We're going to see God revealed through Ruth, but also through Boaz. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He is one who is related to Elimelech, and he is a man of great wealth. And as I said last week, sometimes our grief causes us to see things as more hopeless than they really are. Last week, Naomi, she made no mention of this in the midst of her despair. She told her daughters there was nobody to marry, that she was totally alone. However, it, does, it turns out that she was wrong. Boaz, a relative of her late, late husband, is a wealthy man who owns land in Bethlehem. And he's not only a kinsman, but he's also a godly man, a godly redeemer. In the opening section of the chapter, we find that not only is he a, a living relative, but he's a godly one. He owns a field and he has many employees. And in verse four, we see this simple little exchange, but the exchange is put there intentionally because it tells us volumes about the man. Boaz comes to his field, to his employees, and this simple, what would have been, I mean, I'm sure this happened every single day. 
But the writer put this in here so that we would know something about Boaz. He comes to his employees who were often treated poorly. They were considered less than garbage. I mean, they were worth nothing culturally. But Boaz greets them, the Lord be with you. He greets his servants kindly. And the servants respond, the Lord bless you. So we know from the beginning, not only is Boaz one who treats his servants in a godly way, but they reciprocate a godly affection for him. If you want to know the true character of somebody who claims to be a disciple of Jesus, you're probably not going to discover their true character in the walls of a church building. But in ordinary, everyday rhythms of their life is when you will see who they really are. When Jesus is the only witness, how do they treat the waitress at the restaurant? How do they talk to the coworker who nobody really likes very much? When nobody else is watching, who are you? How do you exhibit Christ-likeness? This is how you see the true measure of a man or woman of God. Boaz is a man who is loved by the Lord, and he returns that love. And this is evidenced by something as ordinary as the way that he runs his farming business. The way he treats his employees shows us the way that God has treated him. And in verse 5 through 7, we see not only God reflected in Boaz, but we see something about God reflected in Ruth. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. The servants who report to Boaz about this woman who has come to glean in the fields are impressed with who she is. Notice that in verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. We learned last week that it was tradition in the Old Testament, in accordance with Old Testament law, that during harvest time, those who were poor could go behind those working the field and they could take any of the scraps that were left over, whether on the ground or anything that wasn't cut. And so Naomi is doing this, and notice that Ruth or Naomi doesn't have to ask Ruth to care for her. Naomi takes the initiative. Ruth is a servant. And, and she reflects Christ in her humble servanthood. And we see in verse 2, like she is a selfless servant. Not having to be asked to care, but she takes the initiative to care for this woman whom she loves and is walking in fellowship with, who has become her family by the grace of God. She is not blood to Naomi, but grace is thicker than blood. And we see this displayed in their relationship. And we would do well to model Ruth in seeking out ways to care for one another in all seasons. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the church is challenged to outdo one another in showing honor. And Scripture tells us that it's our love for one another. It's by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his. All throughout Scripture, we're challenged to, encouraged to, because of what God has done for us in Christ, to exhibit that by seeking out ways to love one another. Without, always, without having to be asked, without always having to be told, but just 
going for it out of an abundant reflection of what God has done in us. And that's what Ruth is doing for Naomi. She has no obligation to care for Naomi, but she chooses to. She's not only a selfless servant, but she's a humble servant. In verse 7, notice the humility in Ruth as she asks for permission to glean. She asks for this permission. She doesn't see herself as being owed a handout. Ruth is not entitled, but she graciously asks for the thing that she knows that she needs. Ruth is aware that she's a foreigner. She's aware that her status, where she comes from, is not helpful to her in this case. And she's aware that she's needy. She's aware that she is fully dependent on mercy to survive. And this awareness, combined with a lack of pride, leads her to this humble posture. We would do well to model Ruth in being honest about our needs and being willing to ask for help and be real about who we are and what we're really going with. And none of us here, we don't, we don't, because of Jesus, because the Father delights in us and sees the Son when he looks upon us, we have nothing to hide. Like our status is perfectly redeemed. Therefore, I have nothing to keep from you and you nothing from me. James 4, 6, but he, gives, but he gives more grace, therefore it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Ruth comes humble, fully acknowledging her need. Ruth is not only self, selfless and humble, but we also see in this text, she is a tenacious servant. They don't mistake humility and selflessness for full-out weakness or, or just meekness. Like she, there is a meekness that is strength. There is a weakness that is strength. And Ruth is a tenacious force as a worker in the midst of her humble servanthood. Verse 7 shows us that she is a godly woman who is not afraid to work hard. The employees of Boaz take note that she worked with little rest from morning until evening, staying right there in stride with everybody else who was in the field. And when, when, when she quit, when the time was up, she took the time to beat out and measure what she had and she took it home to Naomi. Ruth is, is not a weak woman <laughs> in a physical sense. She worked hard and uh, you know, does that to the glory of God. She's not only compassionate, but she's tenacious. She doesn't work hard for the rec recognition. There's no recognition in the work she's doing but out of an abundance of love. She's a godly woman who reflects Christ in this way. Colossians 3.23 challenges us, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That we come to see you, you, that your character, what God has done for you, is seen even in the way that we perform the tasks that we're called to each day. As our, are our tasks done that those might notice or are they done in worship to the Lord? If working heartily can be done for the Lord, then we begin to understand what it means to live a life of worship. That all that Ruth did in the field was meant to glorify the Lord. And Proverbs 31.30 speaks of such a woman when it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Ruth exhibited something that, uh, that all of us, men and women, should strive to exemplify. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And Ruth certainly operated out of a fear of the Lord. And as in response to that, she finds the favor of the Lord. I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 16, which is a big bulk of our text today, and then we'll talk about that. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. I am not, even though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Ruth has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we see that demonstrated in Boaz's mercy. In verse 8 through 9, we see that Boaz, his attention is drawn to Ruth and he shows mercy on her. He offers her not only provision, like, hey, take, take from some of the extra we have in storage. Let her come eat the best food. But he also offers protection from her, for her. It was not a safe, necessarily a safe thing to be a woman in the field by yourself amongst all that were out there. And he offers protection for her. She's not only going to be provided for, but protected. And her response is gratitude. Verse 10 says she falls on her face and she is legitimately in her humility floored by the act of mercy she has been shown. Ruth is simply hoping to work for and find scraps. That's the hope. If I just let me go to the field, let me get what scraps, I'll be eternally grateful. But she receives abundantly more from this Redeemer. And her response is this humble adoration, not just in her words, but her posture before her Redeemer is to fall on her face. Why have you shown mercy on me? And this is kind of like anybody who has ever experienced undeserved grace. Her response is, why? Ruth was not an employee. She had not earned this attention she had not earned this. She, wasn't so, she didn't punch the clock at the end of the week. I worked 40 hours. You owe me 40 hours worth of pay. She wasn't owned any adoration by the owner of the field. And this is what makes it a story about grace. And in verse 11, it says, Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. When we read this verse, it's easy to think for just a moment that Boaz is gracious to her on the basis of her good works, what she has done. Like the line can be confusing there. Like oftentimes, you know, when, when grace is shown to us that leads us to live lives of godliness, our mind can immediately begin to think that it's that godliness that earns us the grace that we were given freely to begin with. 
But in verse 12, while Boaz acknowledges the godly character of Ruth and the way that she serves Naomi, and he admires that, he clarifies in verse 12, while he admires the work of her hand, he understands its real source. He tells Ruth that the real reward will be given to her by the Lord. He tells her, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. He knows, and it is evident, that she rests under the wings of the Lord, and he uses that illustration. And so he is acknowledging in verse 12 what he adored and what he adorned in verse 11. He recognizes in verse 12 the source of that. You have done this because surely the Lord has been good to you and has taken care of you under his wings. She had found refuge in the Lord, and her deeds testify to that truth. The Lord has shown Ruth mercy because she's trusted in him, and she depends on him for her provision and protection first and foremost. And he has been gracious to provide through this Redeemer lowercase r. And in verses 17 through 23, our last section today, again, the sermon series is a little different, and I just I want to let the story just tell what it does. We see that Naomi's theology rightly puts all of this in perspective. In verse 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and she took about an apa of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi, her scars, her hardships, while they have surely left her heart broken. They have also increased her wisdom. And she rightly, quickly identifies the hand of the great Redeemer at work. In verse 20, she says this peculiar statement, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi has certainly faced hardships, but that wasn't the end of her story. The Lord caused the famine to cease. The Lord caused Ruth to cling to Naomi. The Lord brought them to a field in Bethlehem that just happened to be owned by a wealthy relative. The Lord had rescued Boaz and had made him a godly man, preparing him his whole life for this moment of redemption. The Lord caused Ruth to catch the eye of Boaz. The Lord filled Boaz's heart with affection for Ruth. And the Lord brought food and protection to Naomi and her daughter. In the midst of grief and heartache, in the midst of trial, 
Naomi could not see the goodness of God. Her heart was broken. Now, though, the clouds are beginning to part. And Naomi can begin to see God's faithfulness. Because that's how grief works. Grief is overwhelming and it causes our heart to believe and trust in lies. And it leads us, like there's a, the Bible tells us there's a time to mourn, there's a time to grieve. But, as is the case, there will come a day when that won't be the case anymore. And the clouds are pulled back and we begin to see clearly those who trust in the Lord. We look to him knowing that he is our hope in the midst of the day when we don't want to get up, when we don't want to move, when all seems lost. We know who our hope is. And some days we're just holding to that like a life raft in the middle of a sea that wants to devour us. Sometimes that's what it looks like. But eventually, the sea begins to calm. We begin to see what is true. We, our eye is taken off the storm and we begin to get up again on the water and walk towards Jesus like he told us to. And we remember that he's faithful. Naomi is coming out of this cloud of grief and for the first time and for a long time, she sees clearly what the Lord has been doing all along and she was unable not only to see but accept or acknowledge. He hasn't forgotten his daughter Naomi. And he has not ceased to care for the bride of Elimelech. He hasn't forgotten the living. He hasn't forsaken the dead. He is kind. Naomi is reminded of this. As we wrap up this morning, may I just encourage you, there's so much here. Um, Wanted to do Ruth for Advent, but you could totally spend six months. So I just encourage you to reread reread this chapter. Um, There's just a lot of little nuggets and implications here. But I want to close with just focusing in on that, um, that question that Ruth asks. Why do you show mercy? And the question asked by Ruth is a deep, meaningful gospel question. Boaz showed mercy to Ruth, not on the basis of what she deserved. She was a Moabite, a part of a cursed people. She worshipped a false god. But he showed mercy to her on the basis of God's redeeming love, what God had done in him. And the theme of all of Scripture is that God can rescue anyone who will take refuge in him and him alone. All of Scripture is pointing us towards the great Redeemer. Jesus is the better Boaz. That's the point of Ruth. Through Christ, all may find redemption. The Gentile and the Pharisee are invited continuously to come under the wings of the gracious Lord, even though they refuse to do so. Ruth was cursed. We talked about that a lot last week. Her people were set apart from the Lord, but so were you in sin. The curse of the Moabites reflects the curse of all sin. Yet like Boaz, Jesus is willing to redeem. This morning I read the kids a story that's not a normal Advent story, but it is part of the Advent story. That God has made a way to, for righteousness on the, on the, the 
basis of the law. There is a set of rules that you can follow and earn righteousness, but God in his graciousness gives us the law that we might be reminded of our need for him, that we might rest in mercy, that we might come to a place like Ruth where we can come before him with our appeal for mercy, knowing we're in full need of it. Ruth was cursed, but so were we And God sent us a better redeemer in Jesus who comes and offers provision and protection against the the curse that is sent. If you haven't picked it up yet, the story of Ruth is the gospel story. Jesus meets us in the field. We're just looking for scraps. We're the younger son saying, man, my dad, at least he's got bread. He feeds the servants better than me. Maybe I can just go back and he'll let me eat the scraps. And the father runs out and he meets us and he offers us not scraps, but he puts a ring on our finger. He makes us heirs once again to the throne of grace. And in the same way that Boaz and the father, the story is continual. Scripture is filled with it because we need the gospel over and over and over again. That Our father loves us, not on the basis of how good we are, but on the basis of how good Jesus is. And we seek to live lives of holiness, not so we can earn God's affection, but because he gave us his affection. Because at Advent time, we remember that he gave us Jesus while we were lost. He rescued us while we were far off. And so we live lives that seek to reflect that. We seek holiness and to live a certain way. Not to earn his love, but because it's been granted. I want to close this morning, like if if you're new, I get to say that three times as a general rule. I've only said it twice today, so I'm doing pretty good, actually. I'm going to end with a a quote um, from Paul Tripp that I was reading this week that I felt like really kind of summed up what, what it is that we celebrate during this season. He says, it's not just the Christmas story. Rather, the entire redemptive story hinges on one thing, the eternal willingness of Jesus. Without his willingness, you and I would be without hope and without God. Without his willingness, we would be left with the power and curse of sin. Without his willingness, we would be eternally damned. During this season of celebrating, Don't forget to stop and celebrate your Savior's willingness. His willingness is your hope in life, death, and eternity. But there's even more to be said. The Advent willingness of Jesus is your guarantee that he continues to be willing today. Right here, right now, he is willing to love you on your worst day. Right now, he is willing to forgive you again and again. Here and now, he is willing to be patient as you continue to grow and mature. Right now, he is willing to battle on your behalf against all evil within and without. Here and now, he is willing to teach you through his word. Right now, he is willing to supply every one of your spiritual needs. Right now, he is willing to be faithful even when you're not. He, right now, is willing to empower you when you're weak and to restore you when you've fallen. He is willing to comfort you when you are discouraged and protect you when you are steeped in danger. And he remains willing to do everything necessary to feed 
guide, sustain, and protect you until eternity is your final home. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for sending a Redeemer who would provide and protect and sustain us. Lord, you promised, you promised those before us that you would send such a one. And they waited. God, sometimes we, we read and, and we feel like it takes a long time to read through your word, but it doesn't even paint the full picture, Lord, of, of how, how long, hundreds of years that your people waited. And they waited and they lost hope and you, you revealed yourself and they lost hope again. And that's just, God, that's, that seems to be our story. Until one night, God, you sent a redeemer to Bethlehem. And, uh, and it's that night that we, we celebrate, that we, we base our calendars around. We, we change everything this season because you did come, because your promise was true. History changed, Lord, and we acknowledge that. Nothing was ever the same. And all these years later, centuries later, God, we still come and base our lives around uh, this season, uh, reorienting our lives because you, your promises are true, because you did what you said you would do. And God, I, I, I know that I am often like those who came before me, and even, even though your promise was true, you, you, like, I, I'm still prone to forget. I'm still prone to wonder. I'm still uh, in my fear. Um, yeah, sometimes I need you to help my unbelief. God, would you help our unbelief? Would we be um, just uh, energized, renewed, encouraged during this season as we remember that you will come again? She promised. And we know your promises are true. We know you will come and restore all things. We know that our hope is in you, our great Redeemer. Lord, fill our, our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Cause our, our hearts to swell and just be overcome by uh, the truth of the hope that we have in you. I love you. I ask these things in your good name. Amen.